This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my privilege to guide us for the next 40 minutes or so as we continue to connect with God. And if it's your first time here, I want to say an extra special welcome to you. If we didn't get to meet before service, I'll be hanging out by Guest Central after service. I'd love to touch base with you, get to know you a little bit. And we actually have a, a free gift for you out there at Guest Central. So make sure you stop by after service and grab that. I'd love to just hear your story and, and uh, hear how you found your way here to New Life. Well, it is an exciting day today. This morning, we sent off over 20 junior and senior hires and staff to go to camp for a week, and that was very fun. We got to send them out. And here's something cool. In order for that number of students to go to this particular camp where they're whitewater rafting and horseback riding, it was going to be about $11,000. And we as a community helped raise 8000 of that $11,000, which I think is so cool. Way to go, guys. I think that's awesome. Uh, when you drove in, you probably noticed that there are tractors, which means Jesus is coming back because their parking lot project is finally starting. So uh, from what I'm told, they'll be digging. Like starting tomorrow, they're going to start digging stuff up. So we would just ask for your patience in that process and enjoy it. It should run, you know, anywhere from four weeks to 12 months to get that job done. So somewhere in there. Uh, if there's ever a Sunday where there's no parking, right next door to us at Midstate, you can park over in that parking area as well. They've generously donated that space to us during this project, so you could do that. So that's exciting. Uh, right now, we've got a class going on called Intro, which basically shares with folks who are new-ish to new life, the heartbeat of new life, why we do what we do, um, and how we understand God and God's reality in our lives and how that shapes every part of us. So that's happening. I think there's 15 or 20 folks in there. It's just a good day to be part of this community. As you saw out there, we've got all sorts of things for something that we're creating called Love Bombs. I'll tell you more about Love Bombs as the day goes on, but it's just going to be a good day. Uh, and if it's your first time here, you may or may not believe this to be true, but we believe this as a community. We believe that there is a God, that God's not like some distant deity out there, but he's He's more like a perfect, powerful, loving, heavenly Father who sees you and knows you, has a plan for you, and actually wants to meet with you today. So no matter what brought you here, we expect God to meet you here. And so I'm just asking you to, to make yourself comfortable, grab a cup of coffee, kick your shoes off, just prepare yourself to encounter God, because I guarantee God wants to encounter you today. Well, a few things to get us all on the same page are found inside your program. When you walked in, you should have grabbed a decoded program. That's the series we're in. And you're going to want to get this Start Here card and just put your name on it. And if you're a guest with us, would you put your email address on that? You don't have to do anything with it yet, but if I've earned your trust over the next 35, 40 minutes, we're going to pass some baskets later. I'll just ask you to drop it in the basket when it's passed. This is just a connection card. It helps you stay connected to us and the things we're doing in the city, in the church, and around the world. It helps us connect to you. And when you want to take a next step in your faith to go closer to God, we want to be the church to help you do that. And this card just helps us help you stay connected and get connected to God. The other thing are these teaching notes. We're looking at a story today that Jesus told that's really insightful, very powerful. And I think you're going to want to keep it so that you can look at this over the course of the week uh, because we believe that today is just the starting point of a bigger conversation that God's going to invite us to have as a community as we continue to connect with him. Well, while you're getting all that ready, I just need to ask, because I have certain assumptions, and one of them is that you and I aren't that different. You know, we feel like there's an invisible plexiglass shield here, but I showed you a few weeks ago that I, I can break right through that at any point and just run into the audience and, and freak somebody out over in this area, if I remember correctly. 
Um, but I think we're not that different, and I just want to know if that's true. For me, and this could just be me, but for me, I'm not a huge fan of interruptions, specifically when I have something to do. If I've got a job to do, a task to do, I really don't like being interrupted, which is funny because if you asked any of our pastoral staff, they would say, I have no problem interrupting them when they're doing jobs, especially if I'm in vacation mode. You know, I'm busting in their doors all the time, just talking, having a good time. But when I'm trying to get something done, I really, oh, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard when someone, here's what they do. They knock, it's the knock and open, you know, not even waiting for, come in, just the knock and open. And then they're just there in my space. And and it just kind of, it gets to me, not because I don't like people. I do. I love people. I love talking, but I get easily distracted. I have dog tendencies, you know, like if you've, if you've ever talked to me in the lobby, we'll be talking, and all of a sudden someone will pass by, or, or you know, a kid will go, and I'm like everywhere. I'm looking around, and it's not because I don't like you. I'm just easily distracted. And when I've got something to do, and someone interrupts me, it distracts me from what I, I really want to be doing. Am I the only one? Am I the only one who feels this way? Okay, because how many of us really would say, I love interruptions. Boy, I love being interrupted by people. If I'm doing something, I love it when someone barges in and takes my time. None of us do. None of us do. Here's the problem. The older I get, the more stuff I have to get done. And the more I have to get done, the less I like interruptions. The older I get, the more I have to get done. The more I have to get done, the more I dislike interruptions and get frustrated with the people that those interruptions represent. Well, today we're going to talk about the secret to decoding interruptions, because the way we understand interruptions has huge implications in our lives. We're in the series that we're calling Decoded, and it's a series that's teaching on the stories that Jesus told. See, Jesus reserved some of his best teaching for fictional stories that the Bible calls parables. Parables are fictional stories that would take place in an area that the people who he was speaking to knew the area, and he would insert characters into it, and he'd tell this fictional story with a twist in it to describe a truth about God, or a truth about us, or a truth about how we should live in the reality that God is real and true and actually leading something that Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which basically means this. We live in the United States, but those of us who are Jesus followers believe that God is ultimately in control of all things. So while we're citizens in the United States, we're also part of this intangible thing called the kingdom of God. And these, these stories tell us what it looks like to live as citizens in this kingdom of God. And one of Jesus' best friends said that Jesus told these stories, these parables, to reveal to us secrets that have been hidden from the creation of the world. And so when Jesus tells these parables, he's inviting us as the listeners to to find ourselves in the story, to dig into the story, and to somehow crack this code to reveal a secret that's been hidden from the very beginning of the world. And today we're going to talk about the secret to loving interruptions. Now, any of you who know me, you know that I love 90s boy bands. I'm a big fan for obvious reasons. Um, I, I just do. What you, I don't know why you're, that's not a joke. That's very serious. That's, um, what you might not know, what you might not know, is that I also, uh, I really love 60s and 70s singer-songwriter storytellers. Guys like uh, Jim Croce, Boz Skaggs, uh, James Taylor, Cat Stevens, and a guy named Harry Chapin. I love these 60s, 70s 
songwriters, singers who told stories. And one of the songs that Harry Chapin wrote, it haunts me when it comes to the topic of interruption. So I want you to take a listen and then we'll dig in today. Child arrived just the other day Came to the world in the usual way But there were planes to catch, bills to pay Learned to walk while I was away And he was talking for I knew it And as he grew, he said, I'm gonna be like you You know I'm gonna be like you And the cats in the grill and the silver spoon A little bar blue and the man in the moon when you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when We'll get together then, Dad You know I'll have a good time then Well, my boy turned ten just the other day Said, thanks for the ball, Dad, come on, let's play Could you teach me to throw? I said, not today, I got a lot to do He said, that's okay, and he walked away But his smile never dimmed, he said, I'm gonna be like him You know I'm gonna be like him And the cats in the grill and the silver spoon The little ball blue and the man in the moon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know We'll get together then We're gonna have a good time then Well, he came from college just the other day So much like a man I just had to say Son, I'm proud of you Could you sit for a while? He looked at me and he said with a smile What I'd really like, Dad, is a bar to call keys See you later, could I have them please? And the cats in the grill and the silver spoon The little bar blue and the man in the moon When you're coming home, son, I don't know when We'll get together then We're gonna have a good time then Tired, my son's moved away. Called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to die if I could find the time. You see, the new jobs are hassle, and the kids got the flu. But sure, nice talking to you. Sure, nice talking to you. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like me My boy was just like me And the cats in the grill and the silver spoon The little ball blue and the man in the moon But when you're coming home, son, I don't know when We'll get together then We're gonna have a good time then
played that song for my six and four-year-old, and my six-year-old Maddie said, I know that song. That's from Shrek the Third. It's like, oh, sweet Jesus. Uh, it's true. I tried to explain to her that it had a life before Shrek the Third. She didn't really get it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The way we understand interruptions from the day to day to day will mark and shape our lives. And if we don't get interruptions right now, we could end up living a life of regret later. And so Jesus tells a story to help us understand the context of interruptions. And he says this, basically, how do I understand interruptions? Because how I understand interruptions will shape every part of my life. And God loves you. God loves you with a great and a deep love. And God wants you to live a life free of regret. But if we can't decode the secret behind loving interruptions, we will be doomed to live a life of regret. A life like that dad who looks back over the course of his life at missed opportunities. And all he can do is think back on the past with regret. And God never designed us to live that way. One day Jesus is in a conversation with a group of people. One of them is a religious leader. He's a teacher of the law, uh, and he, he spent his time understanding God and trying to follow God. And he tries to trap Jesus in the context of asking a question about interruptions. And it, it goes something like this. It's found in one of Jesus' biographies, the book of Luke, chapter 10. It says, there was an occasion, and an expert of the law stood up, and he was testing Jesus. And he said to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a huge question because that phrase eternal life actually has two very different and very powerful meanings. The first one is eternity, heaven. When I breathe my last, when I take that long blink, what will happen on the other side of eternity? What must I do to experience heaven someday? How do I inherit eternal life? But the other part of that question, when it comes to the context of eternal life, was this— what must I do today to experience a full life? See, eternal life for the people hearing the story wasn't just that life someday, but it was actually this life today. So the lawyer's asking two questions. What do I have to do to get into heaven someday? And then what do I have to do to live a full life free of regret on this day? And Jesus looks at him in verse 26 and says, well, what's written in the law? How do you, how do you read it or how do you understand it? And the lawyer said, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looked at him and said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus looks at the man and says, you might not recognize it, but you've actually answered both questions in that one Old Testament passage. The first one is this. You answered the question about how to enter into heaven. See, if we want to secure our place in heaven, it happens when we surrender our lives to God. And I was thinking about a lot of different words I could put in that blank. Partner our lives with God, join our lives with God. But really, surrender, I think, is, is the right phrase. There comes a point in each of our lives, maybe for some of us it's going to happen today, I'm praying that it will, when we would say, God, I'm done living by myself, for myself, on my own. I'm going to turn back to you. 
I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to you, trusting that you have a better way for me to live, that you know what it looks like for me to experience full life. Because we're told in the Bible that each of us is born with something inside of us called a sin nature. And sin nature simply is this. It's the thing that causes us to think and dwell on things, to say things, and to do things that are hurting us, that are hurting the people we love the most. And that sin is actually separating us from a perfect God who loves us. And I don't have to tell you what your sin is because you've laid in bed and you've thought on it and you've regretted it and you've dwelled on it and you've said to yourself, I'm never going to do it again. But then a week or a month or a year later, you're doing, saying, drinking, smoking, going, looking at the exact same thing you swore you'd never do. And God tells us why. It's because we've got this sin thing inside of us that needs to be transformed. And here's the great news. Jesus who was fully God and fully man, he left heaven and came to earth and he gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, which was death. And then he rose from the dead, breaking the power of sin and death and destruction in our lives so that we could be forgiven of our sin and so that God could replace that sin nature with his spirit living inside of us that would compel us to do the things that we want to do. It's the greatest story of freedom in the history of the world. And Jesus is saying, Do you want to know how you enter into eternity someday, how you enter into heaven someday? You have that moment where you turn from yourself and you turn back to God. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that later on this morning because it's the greatest decision you could ever make. And anytime I preach, I always give people the chance to do it because it will change everything from this day forward, even as you head into eternity. And there's why I say that. Listen, I'm just a fellow truth seeker like you. But I've found that following Jesus is 100% the best way to live. That's why, God's, that's why Jesus said you've answered correctly when the man says you've got to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Because the more we give everything to Jesus, the more we experience that really following him is the best way to live. If I knew a better way, I would tell you. I'm not holding anything back. This is the best way I found to live because God is all good, all loving, all knowing, all powerful, and always looking out for your best interest because you're his child and he loves you. So how do, we, how do we secure our eternity someday? Well, we surrender our lives to God. But then there's the other part of that question. How do we live free from regret in this day? How do we experience fullness of life today? And he says, well, we do it by loving our neighbor as ourselves. Or you could say it this way. We experience fullness in life now by allowing God to use us to love others. Verse 29 says, yeah, but the man wanted to justify himself. And so he said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? That's an interesting question. Who do I have to love to experience that life? Is it my my wife and my kids? Because they interrupt me quite a bit. They're not here. or your husband and your kids? Or you might say, my husband is my kid. I don't know. They interrupt quite a bit, but listen, if I want to experience a good life, I know that I have to deal with the interruptions of my family. So maybe my neighbor is my, is my family. Okay, I'll love them. I get it. They're my family. I chose to get married. It's my choice. I'm going to love them. Okay. But what about my, my coworkers? Do I have to love them when they interrupt me? Like when they knock on my door and I've got a deadline, do I really have to love them then? Because they're interrupting, they're bothering me. But then we think about it and we realize, well, if I choose to love and serve my coworkers, they will help the company, which will help the bottom line, which will eventually help me. So I guess it makes sense to love my neighbor in the context of my 
coworker, even though they interrupt me. So the man's asking, well, is it my next door neighbor who kind of bothers me right now? Do I have to love them? Is it the person down the street? Is it, is it like three blocks? Basically, the guy is asking this question. What's the lowest common denominator I can get to and still experience full life? Like, how, how small can I make my neighborhood and still experience a fullness of life? Because this man knew something that we all know intuitively. The more people we love, the more interruptions we'll have. The bigger our love circle gets, the more we invite interruptions in. So he's asking, well, how small can I make my love circle so that I can still have a full life and minimize the interruptions? And Jesus, this is the context for Jesus telling this parable. He, he basically says to the guy, you don't, you don't understand a secret that's been hidden from the creation of the world about interruptions. So he tells a story. He says there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. Jesus is basically assuming that all the people will know exactly where he's talking about because Jerusalem was the epicenter of the Jewish faith. Jericho was about 3,600 feet below Jerusalem, and there was a 20-mile-long road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it was notoriously bad. Robbers walked on this road. They would, they would pillage. They would steal. It was so bad that it had a nickname. It was called the Bloody Way, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jesus says to his listeners, so picture that road, the bloody way, the one we all know about, that we all stay away from. Picture that there's a man walking down that road, and as he's walking down the road, he gets attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him, and they left him half dead. And a priest walks up. He's going down the same road, and he sees the man, and he passes around on the other side of the road and keeps on going. And then a Levite, who's another religious leader, he's going down that same road, and he sees the man laying here, bloody, half dead, clothes gone, dirt everywhere, dirt mixing with tears and saliva as the man lays there, shallow breath, half dead. And this Levite, this other religious leader, he goes to the other side of the road, and he walks on. Two religious leaders who spent their entire lives getting the first part of the question right. How do we get into heaven someday? Their whole job was to figure out how to love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. That's all they spent their time doing, figuring out how to love God. They see this man, and all they can see is an interruption to what they're doing with their day. Maybe they blame him for being there. He should have known better than to walk down the road by himself. He got what he deserves. He got in that mess. He can get himself out of the mess. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe they think he's dead because the story says he's half dead, blood everywhere, stripped of his clothes. Maybe they think he's dead. And the context is for a religious leader at that time to be able to do their religious duties, they could not touch dead things or dead people or else they'd have to go through a major cleansing process that would take a ton of time. It was a huge interruption to their day. So religious leaders like this priest and this Levite, they did everything to stay away from dead stuff so they didn't have to be interrupted with this cleansing process. So maybe they're just trying to keep themselves clean so they can love God better. They're leaving Jerusalem, so we can assume that they probably had spent time doing their religious duty back at the temple. And maybe they're thinking, I've served God all day. 
I'm done. I'm, I just want to go home and see my wife and see my kids. I'm exhausted. I had to work overtime this week. I had to deal with all sorts of, uh, you know, Christians. You know what I'm talking about? You guys don't. I'm the pastor. Okay. Uh, I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. Remember, there's a plexiglass shield here. You can't come get me. But you've had days like that at work. It's been a long day. It's been a long day. I had to deal with a lot of angry customers. I had to deal with a lot of angry people. I'm exhausted. I just want to go home. You ever had one of those days? I haven't. You guys are horrible. (laughs) For whatever reason, and we can't say for sure, and I think Jesus leaves it nebulous on purpose, for whatever reason, these guys cannot be interrupted by this man. And remember, in Jesus' parables, there's always a twist, and this is where the twist comes in. But a Samaritan, and a Samaritan was hated by the Jews. They had a long history of of uh, animosity towards each other. In fact, if a Jewish person had to get from where they were to somewhere opposite Samaria, they would actually go around Samaria so they didn't have to go through Samaria and become uh, unclean by being with these Samaritan people. No one who was Jewish liked Samaritans, especially religious leaders. They despised them. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was and he saw him and he took pity on him. Verse 34 says, He went to him, he bandaged his wounds and poured oil and wine on him. And when he had put the man on his own donkey, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is equivalent to what he would make in two days of working full time. And he gave it to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense that you have. At this point, Jesus steps out of the story, and he looks at the religious leader, and he says to him, now, which of these three was acting like a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, well, clearly it's the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus said something that I want us to underline. He said, go and do likewise. I'd like to frame the question a little differently. I'd like to ask us as a community this question. Which one of these three do you think had the best story to tell when he got home? Which one of these three do you think had the best life if he strung days like this together? I can imagine the priest and the Levite getting home to their spouse and saying, Honey, how was your day? Well, my day was pretty normal. I went up to Jerusalem. I did my religious duty. Uh, It was hot. I'm tired. It was dusty. Uh, you know, can I just have my dinner? I want to sit on the sofa. Uh, I want to read my whatever it is you read back then. I'm exhausted. And then they'd probably say a little footnote. Oh, and I had this weird thing happen. I was walking down that road, that really bad one, and I saw this guy. I think he was dead on the side of the road. But, but I don't know. There could have been robbers in the bushes, or he could have, it could have been a real mess for my robes and things. So I just, I just kept on going by, and that was the end of it. Never really thought much of it went on their way. And then you get to the Samaritan's house, and I I wonder when he got home if his wife said to him, honey, how was your day? And he looked at her and he said, you wouldn't believe the day I had today. I had a busy day. We were in Jerusalem, and on the way home, I, I saw this guy on the side of the road, and he was bloody, and he was half naked, and he was dirty, and I actually, I thought he was dead. And I went over, and I just kind of poked at him a little bit, and he moaned, and he was breathing. And something in me, I don't know, a thought passed through my head, something just hit me. I just felt like, well, someone's got to take care of this guy, because 
what if I had been walking through a few hours earlier and I was this guy, I wouldn't want someone to take care of me. And so I picked the guy up and I, I grabbed him, which is why I have blood all over myself. And I put him on my donkey and I walked him down to the closest inn I could find and I bandaged him and took care of him. And honey, I actually gave away a lot of money. All the money I've made for the past two days, I gave it to the innkeeper to take care of this guy because I was just compelled that someone had to do something for him. Now, who had the better story? Who had the more fulfilling day? Who experienced, if they strung those days together, let's just say they take that one day and zoom out for the rest of their life, who had the better life? The Samaritan did. The guy who chose to be interrupted. See, interruptions are just opportunities in disguise. They're opportunities to love God by loving people. That's all interruptions are. They're opportunities. And we have two ways to view interruptions in our life. Interruptions can just be interruptions that are stopping me from getting where I want to go, or interruptions can be opportunities on the way to where I want to go. I'm learning in my life that interruptions just give me tangible chances to love people. And in loving people, maybe help the person I'm loving know that God loves them. And the benefit is it's, it's changing my life. And I wonder, how would our lives change if we viewed every single interruption as an opportunity to love God and to love people? You're trying to get something done at work. And your coworker knocks and busts in and says, I don't know what to do. I can't understand the database. I need help with this project. I'm stuck. And you've got a deadline to hit. We have two choices there. One, we can view this as an interruption we can view that person as a nuisance and get rid of them as quickly as we can so we can get back to our day, or we can view them as an opportunity to love God by loving that person and maybe in the midst of loving that person, help them know that God loves them. How about this? We finally get our kids to bed. It's been a long day. We're exhausted. We fall onto the sofa. We don't want to do anything. And all of a sudden, our phones ring, and we look at the caller ID, and it's that person. And you know the person I'm talking about, the one who just always has needs, who's hard to deal with, who you know it's not going to be a 30-second conversation where they just want to bless you. You know, it's, so, so we, have an, it, we have two choices. One, we can let it ring because we know we don't just end it because then they'll know that they were being watched, right? And we ended the call. So come on, you do it too. You just set it down, let it ring because I know your phone's not really turned off if you click me off. Let it ring or, or, answer the phone. And maybe that interruption becomes an opportunity to love that person. And in loving that person, we're actually loving God. How about when your spouse says to you, honey, can you, and then you fill in the blank. We have a choice to make in our minds. Is this an interruption, a nuisance to the thing I really want to do today? Or is this an opportunity to love God by loving my spouse? The longer I live, the more I realize that our lives are made up of moments rather than minutes. Our days are made up of minutes, but our lives, the things that we capture, the things that we will look back on in 50 years are the moments that we embraced, not the minutes that we let slip through our fingers. And Jesus says, do you want to experience the fullest life you can today? If you do, 
then take advantage of every moment that comes your way. If you want your life to be an impact in your community, in your home, in your church, in your workplace, if you want your life to be fulfilling, if you want to have a great story to tell at the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the quarter, the end of the year, he's saying, don't view interruptions as a negative, but switch it over to be an opportunity to love. And here's what I, I love about this story. Jesus leaves it really vague. So the guy is saying, how can, we, how can we squeeze down our love circle as small as we can? What's the lowest common denominator of people I have to love in order to experience full life? And Jesus doesn't give him the lowest common denominator. Jesus tells him a story about a guy who chose to love someone who was nothing like him, a guy who choose, chose to love someone who he didn't agree with. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. And I wonder if he did that intentionally so that we would keep our circles open wide so that we would choose to love people even if we don't line up on the finer points of politics or theology or raising our children. So we would choose to love people even if we don't agree with the choices that they made to get them where they are. I think he did it intentionally. As we close, I just want to share two ways that I've been thinking of that I can choose to embrace interruptions. And you're smart people, so you can think of your own things, but there's just a few I've been thinking about that I thought would be fun to do. The first is this. I think for one week, I'm not saying a month or a year, let's not get crazy, just for one week, what if we chose to embrace every single interruption? That means every time someone knocks on the door, every time your kid tugs on your leg and says, Daddy, I want to cuddle, read me a story. Every time the spouse says, hey, could you go do this or do that? Every interruption. What if for one week we chose to embrace every single interruption? Here's what I'm guessing will happen. I'm guessing that God will be true to his word because he's God. He's pretty good at it. And we will actually have a better life, a better week than we would if we chose to view this person, this thing, as an interruption. So what if for one week we took the interruption challenge and every time we were interrupted, we chose to embrace it as an opportunity to love? I think it'd be a really, really neat experiment for us this week. The second thing I was thinking about was this. I love that our community doesn't draw circles and say, you're in and you're out. I love that we can disagree with each other, that we can disagree with other people, that we can have different opinions or thoughts on finer points of life and still choose to love our communities, our cities that God loves so deeply. And I love that we're a group of people who doesn't mind getting our hands dirty. And that was the impetus behind the love bombs out there. The love bombs are basically, it's a, it's a combination. There's socks, water. There's a list of resources to food banks in our Sonoma County area um, it's uh, a 90-day no, devotional. It is a business card for the church. It's toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant. It's, it's everything that you would need so that if you saw someone on the side of the road, who most people, when they see that person on the side of the road, all of a sudden they become very interested in what time it is or what's on the radio or what's on their phone. But what if we had these, these bags, these love bombs, and when we saw someone on the side of the road, instead of pretending like we didn't see him, what if we looked him in the eye? And then we pulled over, and we sat down and said, hey, I've got something for you if you'd like it. It's just some resources to help you over these next few days, maybe these next few weeks. And then what if we went a step further and actually put our hand on that person's shoulder? Because maybe that person hasn't been touched in a day, a week, a month. Because they smell and they're dirty. 
And our society honestly doesn't know what to do with someone who's homeless, who's fallen on hard times. What if we were the church, we were the community who embraced that person, not as an interruption on our way home from Costco, but as an opportunity to love someone? And so what we did was we got all these resources together, and we're just asking if you would consider donating $5 a bag and then making some of these. You know, we made, we made uh, four of them. My wife did first service. So we, have, we, had, we gave $20. We have four bags. They're in our trunk now. And anytime we see someone, we just have the opportunity to love them in a tangible way. And I thought it'd be really fun to do something like that today. So if you've already made a love bomb and you don't have money, or if you don't have money but you want to make one, that's okay. It's a suggested donation. I'm not holding you to it. I would rather we get this out there. Because of our generosity as a church community, we're able to offer some of these for free to you. But I'm thinking, what if we just donated five bucks and made a bunch of these, and then we just, we just dropped love bomb. I know love bomb is such a funny thing. I just, bombs are no good. Let's rewrite bombs in the context of love. Let's make some love bombs. That's good, right? That's clever. I, like, I, made, up, I made that up. I'm pretty proud of that. We dropped some love bombs. A friend of mine said, so we like rolled down our window? I said, no, 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 no. It's not that kind of bomb. We're not carpet bombing the community. We are simply giving an opportunity to serve. So if you want to do that, uh, at the end of the table, you could drop your five bucks off. Or if you have your card right outside these doors, there's a credit card machine. You could swipe it and then you could do it. It's a very fun, tangible way to love our community, just to love our, our city, to see people who everyone else sees as an interruption, to see them as an opportunity, as a person who God loves, who we can love. And I want to say this. If you're here today and you've never, you've never answered the first question that man asked, which is this, what's going to happen to me the day I die? What's going to happen to me in eternity? Two things I would say to you. One, next week, I'm teaching on one of the more mysterious teachings of Jesus where he answers that question, what happens to me five minutes after I die? He did it in a parable, and it's the most compelling uh, communication Jesus ever did on eternity. So you don't want to miss it next week. But listen, we're not guaranteed next week. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So I want to ask you today, if you've never turned your life over to God, if you've never surrendered your life to him, if you've never experienced his forgiveness and his grace changing and transforming you like a personal, powerful, loving Heavenly Father, then today is your day. And I'm going to pray in just a second for all of us, and then I'm going to pray for you and give you a chance, if you've never committed your life to God, to commit your life to God today. And you can do it by simply repeating a prayer after me, a prayer of commitment where you would say, God, I'm done living by myself, for myself. I'm ready to live with you and for you. Would you please forgive me Would you please enter into my life? And God answers that prayer 100% of the time. It is the best decision you could ever make. So I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Would you join me? Let's let's all pray together. Would you close your eyes? Would you join me for prayer? I want to pray for all of us, and then I'll pray for you if you're ready to make that decision. Lord, thank you that this teaching today, the things that we're experiencing today, the mysteries you're revealing today, simply reinforce something that my community, my friends around me, and I feel deeply in our hearts already. I'm so thankful for this church, for the people that make it up, for the ways that you are teaching us how to love you and how to love others deeply. I pray that you would help us to view interruptions as opportunities to love, because we recognize that life is just made up of interruptions that happen on our way from here to there. So would you help us to embrace embrace people, embrace interruptions, and love people, and by loving people, Lord, help us to love you more deeply and more fully. 
And if you're ready to make that decision to commit your life to God, it's the best choice you could ever make. God loves you so much. He's been waiting for this day. He's had it on his calendar. You can commit your life to God by repeating the simple prayer after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you love me. And I believe you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day of my life from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.